6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America, 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India. In Kyoto, Japan, it's 11 p.m. And in Malaysia, it's 1984. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> Welcome in. Hello. Grab a chair, pull up a couch, a throw rug, comfy cushion, a bean bag. Relax. What is this show about? It's about an hour. It is a curated collection of crap that I found on the net that I thought was amusing or pissed me off or made me go, what? And at the end of every show, we read a classic book. Well, part of a classic book until we get all the way through. And then we move on to another one. And because it will time out just about ending at Christmas, we have started Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. We are up to the first ghost, and we're halfway through that chapter. We'll finish up that chapter tonight. Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitch.tv Live, and Rumble.com Live. All four platforms, live simulcast, right now as it's happening across the planet. Hello to our friends. By the way, our numbers in India continue to grow on the podcast. Not so much on our live stream, but on this uh, on a pod this show is also a podcast, audio only. You can find it everywhere you find podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Apple, Stitcher, wherever, Radio Public, <clears throat> we're out there. And thank you to not only uh, India, but all across the planet, the UK, uh, New Zealand, Australia, US, of course, Malaysia, of course. And so thanks for your subscribes and your downloads. We really appreciate that. If you wouldn't mind, please hit that subscribe button over here, wherever you may be, or follow. Facebook is a follow, I think. Uh, YouTube is subscribe. Twitch is subscribe. Rumble also is a, uh, is a sub subscribe. It's, it's all free. Won't cost you a dime just to click that button, but it really does help me. So thank you for that very much. It is free, but it's helpful, and we appreciate that. Uh, so yeah, to our podcast listeners, thank you so much for that. By the way, a lot of what we do is visual because our first thing is we are a live video stream. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, at, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday at 10 p.m. Malaysia time. And so if you would like to see the video, if you're listening to this later on our podcast, I always let you know, just go to rumble.com, look for Jay Sheldon or Jay Sheldon No Pants. You'll see us there. We have our main channel, which is Jay Sheldon, and then there is a Jay Sheldon No Pants channel. But I've kind of let that go. Everything is on our main channel now. So, and it's better there. So, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right. And the other thing we do every time we get on this program is we give you an update on the little Shiba Inu. Miko update. Yeah. Miko update. Miko is back. She is back to healthy. I don't know what happened, but on, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. Um, suddenly, just like the last few times, she started getting some energy. She was showing some interest in food and she started eating and she started playing and running around and suddenly... All was right with the world. So, knock wood again. When you don't know that you've fixed the problem, I don't usually think it's really fixed. But she's eating, she has a hell of an appetite, and she's doing really well. So, And uh, the whole problem of missing somebody, that took care of itself. So, that helped too. 
No doubt. But uh, yeah, she's doing very well. And thank you. I know I got a lot of emails and messages, private messages, PMs, uh, concerned for Miko. Nobody cares about me or this show. All you care about is the dog. Yeah, fine. <laughs> no, that's fine. By the way, if you would like to uh, send me an email, you can do that. Our email is out there. It's um, nopants at jsheldon.com. You just write us. We reply, everybody. All our emails we get. I personally reply to all of you, and thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Uh, nopants at jsheldon.com. In fact, down here below on this scroller here, you will see that. Right now it says follow me on Twitter at it's J Sheldon, I-T-S, J Sheldon. You want to follow me over there, go ahead. Be warned, I'm a bit conservative on my Twitter, like I am on this show. I No problem talking about that. But just fair warning, some of the stuff I share may not agree, but you know what? You don't have to. That's what it's all about. We agree, we disagree. Like I said, my philosophy is you do you. I do me. We don't have to agree. We can be friends. We don't have to agree. So, speaking of strange things, oh, Bruno Mars. Look, I'm a big Bruno Mars fan. I loves me some Bruno Mars, and his new stuff is very cool. Um, but he put this post up where you could do something with your Spotify and follow him or whatever, and you would be entered into a contest. So being a big Bruno Mars fan, I thought, okay, why not? I'll click on the link. Bruno Mars himself put this on his Facebook. So I go to the link. It tries to open my Spotify, and I wind up seeing this. This is the link. Well, it's a screenshot of the link. From Warner Music Group. So if I click this button, here's what I have to agree that Warner Music will be able to do. Now, there's a whole bunch of them here, and they're all crap. Uh, view your activity, content you've played, what you've saved in your library, your top artists and content, who you follow on Spotify. So all these are visible. But now here's the part. I highlighted it. Take action on Spotify on your behalf without your control and nothing you can do about it. If you agree to this crap, they can add or remove items from your library. Create, edit, and follow playlists and manage who you follow on Spotify. Are you freaking kidding me? This is why, uh, look, I know those, I agree to the terms and conditions. It's easy to just scroll through 500 pages of crap and click yes. You need to read some of this stuff. Look at this. So I posted, sorry, Bruno, love your music, big fan, but yeah, that's not going to happen. Are you freaking kidding me? As I just said, I wrote that. Do you ever actually read what you're letting them do? Sure, I'll trust a record label. Ha, ha, ha. Not. This is insane. Look at this. You're going to let Warner Music Group add and remove stuff from your own Spotify library. Follow playlists. Create on your account. And this one gets me most of all. Manage who you follow on Spotify, which means not only adding people that you could follow, but taking away people. So I dumped this crap right quick. There was no way, no way on the planet I was going to say yes to that. So sorry, Bruno, like I said, love your tunes, but it ain't happening. Please read the terms and conditions, please. You have no idea what you're giving up when you click that yes button just to get a, what, a Bruno Mars t-shirt. Hey, I got a Bruno Mars t-shirt and a hat, okay? But no thanks. <laughs> oh, man. I love Tom Ammerman. Who's Tom Ammerman? Just like me. A nobody, really. He's a friend of mine. And he posted this. 
And for those of you who are uh, in the know, you'll know. I got to read this. I got to share it. I don't do a whole lot of very controversial stuff, but this is one can't be ignored because it makes a brilliant point. A few weeks ago, over 300 million lottery tickets were sold in four days. Within hours of the drawing of the numbers, the winning numbers, within hours, lottery officials knew how many winning tickets were sold, where the winning tickets were sold, down to the very specific store locations those tickets were sold at. Four days after voting closed, some voting officials don't know how many people voted, how they voted, who they voted for, or what the accurate results are. The U.S. election system is broken and likely broken on purpose. Makes a brilliant point. A brilliant point. Had to share that tonight. If you want to disagree, feel free. Send me an email. Give me your opinion. Put it in the chat if you want over here. Over there. All right. I got one more that has a bit of controversy to it. And we talked about this lovely lady before. We're going to talk about her again because it's important. So, uh, so pay attention. A great woman. And that is a picture of this great woman right here. Erased from history by idiots. The branding of Aunt Jemima syrup was a tribute to this woman's gifts and talents. And now future generations won't even know her name or that she even existed, which is a shame. The world knew her as Aunt Jemima, but her given name was Nancy Green, and she was a true American success story. Uh, born a slave in 1834 in Montgomery County, Kentucky, became a wealthy uh, Superstar in the advertising world at its first as its first living trademark. Green was 56 years old when she was selected as spokesperson for the new ready-mixed self-rising pancake flour and made her debut in 1893 at a fair and exposition in Chicago. She demonstrated the pancake mix, served thousands of pancakes, and became... An immediate star, good storyteller, personality was warm and charming and appealing. Her showmanship was exceptional, and her exhibition booth drew so many people, they wound up putting special security personnel uh, to keep the crowds moving. Nancy Green signed to a lifetime contract and traveled on promotional tours all over the country, extremely well-paid for her work, by the way. Her financial freedom and stature as a national spokesperson enabled her to become a leading advocate against poverty and in favor of equal rights for all Americans. She maintained her job until her death in 1923. She was 89 years old. This was a remarkable woman and an incredible story. And sadly, because of some idiots and politics, basically, she's been erased. So we wanted you to know and remind you, in this time of the morons of cancel culture, that this lady, Nancy Green, otherwise affectionately known as Aunt Jemima, existed. And she was... An incredible woman. Oh. All right. Here we go. You ready? This was our thumbnail tonight. <laughs> mm. Coffee break time. Fucking gin. Yeah, I know. It's not what I said. I said fucking gin. Yes. <laughs> 
And this story is great for two reasons. This is actually the name of this brand of gin. F-O-K-H-I-N-G, gin. Falk, Hing, gin. It's a Hong Kong alcohol brand. And people complained about the name of this alcohol. And basically, the alcohol brand said, a double barrel middle finger to you. And called the complainant a Karen. (laughs) Yes! Now, if you watched this stream or listened to this podcast about a week or two ago, you'll know that we just went through the same idiotic stupidity here in Malaysia with a brand of uh, whiskey called Tima, which is the Malay word for uh, for tin. But the Hong Kong alcohol brand Fok Hing Jin rejects a rebranding call and says the complainant is a Karen. Here's what they wrote. To the Karen who got offended by our name, we're genuinely sorry that you haven't had the experience of different cultures and their unique uh, diversities. We'd be delighted to show you around Hong Kong one day if you ever make it past its borders. As you know, our gins pay special, uh, special homage for, to Fok Hing Lane in Causeway Bay. And not quite what you think it sounds like. So no need to get your Primark G-strings twisted. We'll make sure to update our back label with a more descriptive narrative of our brand story. We're almost out of labels anyways from our award-winning sellout gin. Thank you. P.S. Thank you. You've helped us go viral and generated more press and traffic than we could ever have imagined. More effective than a PR agency. Might we suggest a new hobby? Sincerely, uh, I can't read the signature. But anyway, congratulations to this distiller. Uh, The Hong Kong-based gin company uh, was deemed offensive by one of the UK's drink industry watchdogs. And they basically said, up yours. Obviously, the name is intended to shock Uh, and pronounced uh, as an offensive term. Uh, Marketing comments online include uh, Falk the haters, and those who don't like the name can Falk off. The complainant said. It's also said the story of the Falk Hing name was unclear from the packaging material, and some of the marketing was inconsistent with the company's claim that the name was not a wordplay for swearing. But they posted that statement that I just read on their Facebook page, and good on them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they got a lot of press out of this. They sold almost sold out of their product, and thank you very much. Uh, the complainant commented, I welcome the fact that Incognito Group participated and cooperated with the inquiry. However, I'm in no doubt that their explanation of both the product name and the promotional activity was to an extent fabricated and a cynical cover story prepared in the event of a complaint. They knew exactly what they were doing in naming and promoting the product the way they did. So, there you go. It happened just like three weeks, a month after this whole bullcrap Tima controversy went on here in Malaysia. And this is Hong Kong. And so I have to wonder if maybe they didn't uh, take a tip from Tima. A Tima tip. (laughs) It's entirely possible. 
Anyway, that was the headline. You can find the article, by the way, if you want to read the whole thing. It's from World of Buzz, and I put the article below in our show notes tonight, so you can check that out if you want to check out the uh, the whole article. There is a link to that in the show notes. All right, coffee break time again. Mm. And as we always say, if you want a Miko mug, there's the little girl on the mug, and there is our show logo on the back. You can pick this up at twitch.tv. Jay Sheldon, no pants. Check out the about page, and over on the side, you'll see Miko merch, mouse pads, hats, pullovers, t-shirts, caps, stickers, coffee cups. So check it out on twitch.tv. That's where our merch lives. Hey, this is a great story. I loved this. This is brilliant. It's uh, from the Malay Mail, malaymail.com. Tip of the hat to them. And you can find the link once again in our show notes tonight. But uh, this is an amazing story. A 63-year-old widow in India donated all of her properties worth over 500,000 ringgit to a rickshaw puller for services rendered to her family. There is a picture of the auntie and the rickshaw puller. Yeah, rickshaws are still quite common in uh, in India. And uh, it's 10 million rupees, which is more than a half a million ringgit. And uh, it is an incredible story. Read the whole story, just some highlights. She's 63. She lost her husband and her daughter. She lost all of her family, basically. And uh, she said the donation was in recognition of... Um, 25 years of service to the rickshaw puller whose name is Buddha Samal. Is it Samal or Sami? Samal. Buddha Samal. Um, according to India Today, uh, Minati Patnaik, who is the 63-year-old uh, in India, she's from Odisha, India, and uh, she donated her three-story house, gold ornaments, and all of her possessions to Buddha. The decision to donate all of her properties came after Manati had lost her husband to kidney failure and her daughter died of cardiac arrest recently. Sad, sad story. Uh, she says, I was shattered in living in grief after the death of my husband and daughter at regular intervals. However, this rickshaw puller and his family stood by me during my difficult times and took care of my health without expecting anything in return, Minati said. And she said that all of her relatives have enough property. She's always wanted to donate hers to a poor family. And another reason for her philanthropic action was also because she doesn't, doesn't want Buddha's family to be harassed after her death. He used to drive my daughter to Ravenshaw College, and he was the uh, family's rickshaw puller. So she left everything. She donated everything to him. This brilliant 63-year-old uh, widow from Odishi, India. What, what an amazing, amazing story. Again, you can find the link in the show notes tonight down below the, uh, the video. Or if you're on the podcast, in our show notes, you'll see the link there. I think it's the second link in our show notes, so... Do check out the whole story. It's from the MalayMail.com. Uh, Very cool. Hey, 404, welcome in. Good to have you. It's been a while. I haven't seen you in a bit. Nice to have you along for the ride tonight. Uh, what do you got in your attic or in your cell? You know what? Nobody here has attics in Malaysia. Maybe a crawl space. And almost no one has cellars. In fact, I'll guess there's some people in Malaysia listening that don't know what that word means. Not sellers, S-E-L-L-E-R-S, like selling things. Sellers, like C-E-L-L-A-R, I think. I'm a terrible speller. <laughs> sellers is the space below your house, if you don't know. If you're in the U.S. listening, you're going, who doesn't know what a seller is? Trust me, I've never seen a seller in Malaysia, and I truly don't believe there are any sellers. Does anyone in Malaysia have a seller? Let me know. 
Uh, yeah, found a job. It was difficult to catch up on the late night streams. Well, I am so glad to hear that you found a job. Congratulations. That's very good news. Um, you might, if you're looking for extra money, you might want to check your attic. Valuable old items that you might very well have in your attic or storage room and could be worth more than you think. This is an article from 365economist.com. It's kind of clickbaity. The link's in the show notes, but it's a cool article, so do check it out. One of those people who has a random collection of unused items lying around somewhere in your house, and you might just want to check through them. For example, Game Boys. Who hasn't played one of these things from a long time ago? The 80s and early 90s saw the Game Boy craze. Uh, little girls and boys begged their parents to buy them the newest ones so they could show off and play with with their friends. Must have, must, must have toy back in the 80s and early 90s. Um, there were millions of these things sold. Uh, eventually, they wound up losing dust in some attic or a box, maybe in the cellar, and then better and better gaming systems came out. But these things nowadays, they draw some bucks. Between 750 and 2,000 USD. These rare classic Game Boy consoles, gaming stores are purchasing them and reselling them for between 750 and 2,000 thousand usd so check hey you know what i've been watching lately by the way on youtube uh i, don't, I think it's on history channel but they they rebroadcast episodes on on youtube um pawn stars p-a-w-n pawn stars it, it's been around for like 19 seasons or something it's it's been around forever but i just i don't know why i suddenly got into the show again it's very cool uh, but this is the kind of thing you might see on Pawn Stars. That's amazing. An old cookie jar. There were some serious bucks these days, especially if you own some of the more antique ones. Uh, the ones that were sold during the 40s and 50s could be incredible money makers these days. Uh, the PBS Antiques Roadshow, uh, Rain Hirsch, uh, proved this to the world. According to the appraiser, a cookie jar from the 1950s Uncle Mistletoe Marshall Fields brand sold for $1,200. That's USD in 2018. Uh, other ones, especially the ones, you know, like cartoon characters, like this picture here of this, what is some sort of chef rabbit looking thing. Um, they sell for crazy amounts of money. A little Audrey cookie jar recently sold on eBay. Wow. 3,400 bucks. That's insane. And people just have these things laying around in storage. You really ought to check. Vintage perfume bottles. I'm not going to do all these. You can check the article at the links in the show notes. But these also highly valued, highly appraised, and worth a ton. Some vintage bottles sell for more the, the top-notch brands we see released every day of perfume. In the 19th century, for example, glass blowers from all over the world would turn bottles of perfume into some amazing art. You can see these pictures here of these uh, various perfume bottles. And uh, in August of 2019, these 90s bottles sold on eBay for about 400 bucks. That's not all. Bottles that dated as far back as the 18th century sold at more than double that price. Insane. According to Roadshow appraiser Eric Silver, one could even sell these at real-life auctions for uber big bucks. Auctions especially that are dedicated to perfume bottles. This is amazing. The article goes on. In fact, strangely enough, I actually think I've got a couple of these VHS tapes. Now, who has a VHS player anymore? Who could even play these things? I don't think I know a single person who owns a VHS player, but no matter how much time passes or Netflix and chill we have access to, nothing 
would bring back the magic of choosing our favorite VHS tape to watch with the family. Those who were lucky enough will remember that VHS collection at some point began collecting dust, but not everybody threw them away. Some of us still have them stored, and many could be uh, worth a lot of money. You think I'm kidding? Collectors will pay a whopping $1.5 million USD for volumes 1, 2, and 3 of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck tapes. Un one and a half million bucks for these three original copies of Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck tapes. So, might be time to start checking your storage cabinet. <laughs> this is insane. Unbelievable. 404, you still got VHS. Well, check your collection, mate, because you might have a freaking fortune sitting in a box somewhere. And check out the article. It's in the show notes. There's a whole bunch of other stuff that are insanely valuable that you might not think are. Mm. All right. I got one more quick one, and then we're going to move on to our book. This story appeared, in, again, World of Buzz. Links in the show notes. It's a cool story, and it happens right here in the town that I live in, in Subang Jaya. You see that? There is a wild boar in Subang Jaya, and it's named after the famous Bollywood celebrity Kajol. So if you are familiar with uh, the Bollywood and the celebrities, I have not heard of Kajol, but they've named this uh, wild boar Kajol, and it lives along a trail, a hiking trail, uh, in Subang Jaya called Wawasan Puchong Hill. Uh, found itself a frequent hiker in the form of a boar, which is basically a wild pig, and locals have named it Kajol, uh, believed by locals to have been abandoned by her boar family. So they took it in, started feeding it, and because it's been exposed to humans, locals believe that's why it's quite tame. Uh, the Bollywood boar has even built a bond with the shopkeepers and the hikers there. Uh, Alex Wong, who frequently takes hikes in Wawasan Puchong Hill, uh, says Kajol's very friendly and even allows him to take selfies with it. And um, he says it's playful, likes nipping at things around it, not apprehensive of people, and generally very friendly with everyone, including the shopkeeper's dog. It, there's a picture here of the shopkeeper, I believe, with the wild boar, the jungle pig. It lives at the fringes of the nearby forest, but can often be seen at Wabasan Puchong Hill or near the shops. And there you go. It's adorable. A fair warning, though, if you do live in the area or you want to go hiking to go see this wild pig, it's still a wild animal. So while it may be used to people and relatively friendly, please let's not forget this is still a wild animal. Probably better if you just leave it be. It's great somebody's feeding it, sort of taking care of it. But um, again, it's still a wild animal. And speaking of wild animals, particularly wild boars, jungle pigs, I have to take a second to promote my book. Sorry, bear with me. This is a children's book that I wrote <coughs> Excuse me. About, oh, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago. It is available. It is online. You can pick it up at blurb.com or at Amazon. There is a link in our show notes to both our Facebook page, which is what you're looking at now. And also, I put a link there to the Amazon where you can buy the book. But this is our Facebook page for my book, my children's book, called Willie and the Warthog. It's written in English, and it is uh, takes place in Malaysia. And this is the write-up. It says, a heartwarming adventure story of eight-year-old Willie from a small Malaysian village who lives with his bossy sister and his understanding dad. A heartwarming adventure story, blah, blah, blah. Uh, one day, while playing near the jungle... 
Willie comes face to face with a warthog, a large, vicious jungle pig. Not sure if he's about to be eaten or chewed to death, Willie, in spite of his overactive imagination, gets a surprise that even he could never have expected. So, that is our book. It's called Willie and the Warthog. There's a picture of the uh, front cover. And thanks to Eric Weiss for the illustrations. Uh, that's me, and this is my book. And if you would like to buy it, you go right here. This is our Amazon link, and you can uh, pick up a copy. It's a little pricey if you have to convert that into Malaysian ringgit, but it's written for an international audience. In the book, when I mention things that are very typically Malaysian, um, I explain them. Uh, so that if you are reading this and you're not in Malaysia, you'll still perfectly well understand about the story. And it's it's kind of an exciting little story. So check it out, pick it up, maybe, maybe a nice Christmas present, maybe. Mm. Uh, anyway, the links are in the show notes if you want. I've, I've done enough promoting my products here. Uh, so yeah, check out Willie and the Warthog, either our Facebook page, which will then also lead you to the Amazon page if you'd like. Check it out. We'll sell a couple for Christmas. If you'd like, and we can arrange it, I'll autograph it for you for free. Okay? So there you go. <laughs> All right. What else we got going on here? We have our book, don't we? Yes. It is time. It is time to get back into our book reading. Well, bless you too, 404. And thank you for watching. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Just give me a second for one more coffee break. There we go. I get my voice back. And uh, let's put up our Dickens picture. There we go. And it is time to head back in to Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which we have been reading for the, uh, for the last few streams. And we're going to continue on with now. It's the very first ghost, the very first uh, ghost of Christmas past. And we read the first half of this chapter. We're going to continue on and close out this chapter from the first spirit uh, tonight. So here we go. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand, saying as it did so, Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling. The naked laths were shown instead, but how all this was brought about, Scrooge knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct, that everything had happened so that there he was, alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He wasn't reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost and, with a mournful shake of his head, glanced anxiously toward the door. It opened, and a little girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in and putting her arms around his neck, and often kissing him, and addressed him as, Dear, dear brother. I have come to bring you home, dear brother, said the child, clapping her tiny hands and bending down to laugh. To bring you home, home, home. Home, little fan, returned the boy. Yes, said the child, brimful of glee, home for good and all, home for ever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be. That home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one night, dear, that when I was going to bed, I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you. And you're to be a man, said the child, opening her eyes, and never to come back here. But first, we're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time 
in all the world. Oh, you are quite a woman, little fan, exclaimed the boy. She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head, but being too little, laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him. And then she began to drag him in her childish eagerness towards the door. Noting loath he to go, accompanied her. A terrible voice in the hall cried, Bring down Master Scrooge's box there. And in the hall appeared the schoolmaster himself, who glared on Master Scrooge with a ferocious condescension, threw him into a dreadful state of mind by shaking hands with him, and then conveyed him and his sister to the veriest old well of a shivering best parlor that there ever was, where the maps upon the wall and the celestial and terrestrial globes in the windows were waxy with cold. Here he produced a decanter of curious light wine and a block of curiously heavy cake and administered installments of those dainties to the young people, at the same time sending out a meager servant to offer a glass of something to the postboy who answered that he thanked the gentleman, but it was the same tap as he had tasted before, and he'd rather not. Master Scrooge's trunk being by this time tied to the top of the chaise, the children were bade the schoolmaster goodbye right willingly, and, getting into it, drove gaily down the garden sweep, the quick wheels dashing the hoar-frost and snow from off the dark leaves of the evergreens like spray. Always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered, said the ghost. But she had a large heart. So she had, said Scrooge. You're right. I will not gainsay it, spirit. God forbid. She died a woman, said the ghost, and had, as I think, children. One child. Scrooge returned. True, said the ghost. Your nephew. Scrooge seemed uneasy in his mind and answered briefly, yes. Although they'd put that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city where shadowy passengers passed and repassed, where shadowy carts and coaches battled for the way, and all the strife and tumult of a city were. It was made plain enough by the dressing of the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time again. But it was evening, and the streets were lighted up. The ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. "'Know it?' said Scrooge. Why, I was apprenticed here. They went in, and at the sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig sitting behind a high desk, that if he had been two inches taller he might have knocked his head against the ceiling, Scrooge cried in great excitement, Why, it's old Fezziwig! Bless his heart! It's Fezziwig alive again! Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands, adjusted his capacious waistcoat, laughed all over himself from his shoes to his organ of benevolence, and called out in a comfortable, oily, rich, fat, jovial voice, Yo-ho there, Ebenezer! Dick! Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow prentice. "'Dick Williams, to be sure,' said Scrooge to the ghost. "'Bless me, yes, there he is. He's very much attached to me, that Dick. Poor Dick, dear, dear.' "'Yo-ho, my boys,' said Fezziwig. "'No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, you know.' "'Dick, Christmas, Ebenezer, let's have the shutters up,' cried old Fezziwig with a sharp clap of his hands. "'Before a man can say Jack Robinson!' "'You wouldn't believe how those two fellows went at it. 
They charged into the street with the shutters. One, two, three, had them up in their places. Four, five, six, barred them and pinned them. Seven, eight, nine, came back before you could have gotten to 12, panting like racehorses. Hi-ho, cried old Fezziwig, stepping down from the high desk with a wonderful agility. Clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Hi-ho, Dick, cheer up, Ebenezer. Clear away? There was nothing they wouldn't have cleared away or could have cleared away with old Fezziwig looking on. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off as if it were dismissed from public life forevermore. And the floor was swept and watered, the lamps were trimmed, the fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see on a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book. It went up to the lofty desk and made an orchestra of it and tuned like fifty stomach aches. In came Mrs. Fezziwig and one vast substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In came six young followers whose hearts they had broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the housemaid with her cousin, the baker. In came all the young men and women employed in the business. In came the cook, the brother's particular friend, the milkman. In all they came one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing and some pulling. In all they came and how and every how. Away they all went, twenty couples at once, hands half round and back again the other way, down the middle and up again, round and round in various stages of affectionate grouping, old top couple always turning up in the wrong place, new top couple starting off again as soon as they got there, all top couples at last and not a bottom one to help them. When this result was brought about, old Fezziwig clapped his hands to stop the dance and cried out, well done! and the fiddler plunged his hot face into a pot of porter, especially provided for that purpose. But scorning rest upon his reappearance, he instantly began again, though there were no dancers yet, as if the other fiddler had been carried home, exhausted, on a shutter, and he were a brand new man, resolved to beat him out of sight or perish. There were more dances, more forfeits, more dances, cake, negus, and there was a great piece of cold roast, a piece of cold boiled, and mince pies, plenty of beer. But the great effect on the evening came after the roast and boiled, when the fiddler, an artful dog mind, the sort of man who knew his business better than you or I could have told it to him, struck up. Sir Roger de Coverley. Then old Fezziwig stood out to dance with Mrs. Fezziwig. Top couple, too, with a good stiff piece of work cut out for them. Three or four and twenty-four pair of partners, people who were not to be trifled with, people who would dance and had no notion of walking. But as if they had been twice as many, Ah, four times. Old Fezziwig would have been a match for them, and so would Mrs. Fezziwig. As to her, she was worthy to be his partner in every sense of the term. It's not that high praise, tell me higher and I'll use it. A positive light appeared to issue from Fezziwig's calves. They shone in every part of the dance like moons. You couldn't have predicted at any given time what would become of them next. And when old Fezziwig and Mrs. Fezziwig had gone all through the dance, advance and retire, both hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle, and back again to your place, Fezziwig cut, cut so deftly that he appeared to wink with his legs and came upon his feet again without a stagger. When the clock struck eleven, the domestic ball broke up. 
Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations upon one another's side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. When everybody had retired but the two apprentices, they did the same to them, and thus the cheerful voices died away, and the lads were left to their beds, which were under a counter in the back shop. During the whole of this, Scrooge had acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene, and his former self. He corroborated everything, remembering everything, enjoyed everything, and underwent the strangest agitation. It wasn't until now, when the bright faces of his former self and Dick were turned from them, that he remembered the ghost and became conscious that it was looking full upon him. All the light upon his head burned very clear. A small matter, said the ghost, to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small, echoed Scrooge. The spirit signed to him to listen to the two apprentices who were pouring out their hearts in praise of Fezziwig. And when he had done so, said, Why, is it not? He spent but a few pounds of your mortal money, three or four, perhaps. Is, is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, said Scrooge, heated by the remark, speaking inconspicuously, like his former, not his latter self. It isn't that spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. Say that his power lies in words and looks and things so slight and insignificant that it's impossible to add and count them up. What then? The happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a fortune. He felt the spirit glance and stop. What is the matter? asked the ghost. Nothing particular, said Scrooge. Something, I think, said the ghost, insisting. No, said Scrooge. No, no, no. I, I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. And that's all. His former self turned down the lamps as he gave utterance to the wish, and Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short, observed the spirit. Quick. This was not addressed to Scrooge or to anyone whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect. For again Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of his life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. There was an eager, greedy, restless motion in the eye which showed the passion that had taken root and where the shadow of the growing tree would fall. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a morning dress, in whose eyes there were tears, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. It matters little, she said softly, to you very little. Another idol has displaced me, and... If it can cheer and comfort you in time, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you, he rejoined. A golden one. This is the even-handed dealing of the world, he said. There's nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and, and there's nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. You fear the world too much, she answered gently. 
All your other hopes have merged in the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one, until the master passion, gam, engrosses you, have I not? What then? he retorted. Even if I have grown much wiser, what then? I'm not changed towards you. She shook her head. Am I? Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so, until in good season we could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy, he said impatiently. Your own feelings tells you that you were not what you are, she returned. I am that which promised happiness and when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that there are two. How often, how keenly I've thought of this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it and can release you. Have I ever sought release? Uh, in words, no, never. In what then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in another atmosphere of life, another hope as its great end, in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, said the girl, looking mildly with the steadiness upon him, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? Ah, no. He seemed to yield to the justice of this supposition in spite of himself, but he said with a struggle, You think not. I would gladly think otherwise if I could, she answered. Heaven knows. When I have learned a truth like this, I know how strong and irresistible it must be. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can I even believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? You who, in your very confidence with her, weigh everything by gain, or choosing her if for a moment you were false enough to your one guiding principle to do so, do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do, and I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. He was about to speak, but his head turned from him. She resumed. You may, the memory of what is past, half makes me hope you will have pain in this. A very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection, uh, recollection of, a, of it gladly as an unprofitable dream from which it happened well that you awoke. May you be happy in the life you've chosen. She left him. And they parted. Spirit, said Scrooge, show me no more. Conduct me home. What do you delight to torture me? Why? One shadow more, exclaimed the ghost. No more, cried Scrooge. No more. I, I do not wish to see it. Show me no more. But the relentless ghosts pinioned him in both arms and forced him to observe what happened next. They were in another room, scene and place, a room not very large or handsome, but full of comfort. Near to the winter fire sat a beautiful young girl, and so like the last that Scrooge believed it was the same, until he saw her now a comely matron sitting opposite her daughter. The noise in this room was perfectly tumultuous, for there were more children there than Scrooge and his agitated state of mind could count. And unlike the celebrated herd in the poem, they were not forty children conducting themselves like one, but every child conducting itself like forty. The consequences were uproarious beyond belief. But no one seemed to care. On the contrary, the mother and daughter laughed heartily and enjoyed it very much, and the latter, 
soon beginning to mingle in the sports, got pillaged by the young brigands most ruthlessly. What I would not have given to be one of them. Though I never could have been so rude, no, no, I wouldn't have, for the wealth of all the world, crushed that braided hair, and torn it down, and for the precious little shoe I wouldn't have plucked it off. God bless my soul to save my life. As to measuring her waist in sport, as they did bold young brood, I couldn't have done it. I should have expected my arm to have grown round it for a punishment and never come straight again. And yet I should have dearly liked, I own, to have a touch of her lips, to have questioned her that she might have opened them, to have looked upon the lashes of her downcast eyes and never raised a blush, to have let loose waves of hair, an inch of which would be a keepsake beyond price. In short, I should have liked, I do confess, to have had the lightest license of a child, and yet to have been man enough to know its value. But now a knocking at the door was heard, and such a rush immediately ensued that she, with laughing face and plundered dress, was borne towards it in the center of a flushed and boisterous group, just in time to greet the father, who came home attended by a man laden with Christmas toys and presents. And the shouting and struggling and the onslaught that was made on the defenseless porter, the scaling him with chairs for ladders to dive into his pockets, despoil him of brown paper parcels, hold on tight by his cravat, hug him round the neck, pummel his back and kick his legs in irrepressible affection. The shouts of wonder and delight with which the development of every package was received. The terrible announcement that the baby had been taken in by the act of putting a doll's frying pan into his mouth and was more than suspected of having swallowed a fictitious turkey glued onto a wooden platter. The immense relief of finding this a false alarm. The joy and gratitude and ecstasy, they are all indescribably alike. It is enough that by degrees the children and their emotions got out of the parlor and, by one stare at a time, up to the top of the house where they went to bed and so subsided. And now Scrooge looked on more attentively than ever when the master of the house, having his daughter leaning fondly on him, sat down with her and his mother at the fireside. And when he thought that such creatures, quite as graceful and as full of promise, might have called him father, and had been a springtime in the haggard winter of his life, his eyes grew very dim indeed. Bell said the husband, turning to his wife with a smile. I saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who was it? Guess. How can I? Tut, I don't know. And she added in the same breath, laughing as he laughed, Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge it was. I passed his office window, and as it was not shut up and he had a candle inside, I could scarcely help seeing him. His partner lies upon the point of death, I hear, and there he sat, alone, quite alone in the world, I do believe. Spirit, said Scrooge in a broken voice, remove me from this place. I told you, these were shadows of the things that have been seen, said the ghost, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. Remove me, said Scrooge. I cannot bear it. He turned upon the ghost, and seeing that it looked upon him with a face in which, some strange way, they were fragments of all the faces it had shown him, he wrestled with it. Leave me, take me back, haunt me no longer. In the struggle if that could be called a struggle, in which the ghost, with no visible resistance upon its own part, was undisturbed by any effort of its adversary. 
Scrooge observed that his light was burning high and bright, and dimly connecting that with its influence over him. He seized the extinguisher cap, and by a sudden action pressed it down upon his head. The spirit dropped beneath it, so that the extinguisher covered its whole form. But though Scrooge pressed it down with all his force, he could not hide the light, which streamed from under it in an unbroken flood upon the ground. He was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness, and further of being in his own bedroom. He gave the cap a parting squeeze, in which his hand relaxed, and he had barely time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. Wow. My goodness. <laughs> That is the end of chapter two, the very first spirit. And coming up in our next stream, we'll begin chapter or stav three, the second of the three spirits. So there you go. In Charles Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Wow, we did almost an hour and 10 minutes tonight. Hey, Mr. Sam C., welcome. <laughs> Good to see you, Sam. Sam C., join him over on twitch.tv. Uh, uh, Mr. Sam C., who is a, a very funny guy, and uh, he has a great channel over there on, uh, on uh, twitch.tv. Just look up Mr. Sam C. You'll find him in the chat over there. It's very cool. Thank you. Thanks for popping by. All right, my friends. Uh, let's see. We missed some chats. Uh, Obligated Orb, hello. Welcome. Good to see you again. It has been a very long time. And uh, wow, fantastic. Thank you for popping by. Uh, we're almost done, folks. We did way over an hour, an hour and 10 minutes here. So uh, yeah, I got <laughs> to kick things along. I will, uh, I will see you again on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, Saturday night. We'll continue with our book. We'll have a whole bunch of more weird curated collection of crap I find on the internet. And uh, we'll see what else we can do to get ourselves in trouble. All right, gang, thanks so much for joining in. Thank you for listening in on the podcast. Also, if you'd like to help out the show, you can uh, go to patreon.com slash Sheldon. That's where you will find a few different tiers, levels of ways that you can help to support the program. Thanks, Sam. Thank you so much for popping by. You have a good night, too. Until next time, Saturday night at 10, Malaysian time, I'm Jay Sheldon. I'm not wearing pants. Good night, everybody.